The actual goal is the process. The results will follow. Don't worry about the results. If you follow the process, if you just do what you teach us, you'll be fine. Just love the process and you'll be okay. Don't worry so much about the, the goals because every big river starts with a stream. And it's those little streams, it's those drops of water that accumulates over time that suddenly brings the magnificent waterfalls that we see in the rivers and the big shifts. Hey there, my friend. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, and I want to welcome you back to another episode here at the Fit Father Project podcast. And this episode is going to be actually the first of its kind, because what we're going to be doing is bringing on one of our Fit Father program members, Hugo Nell, who had incredible transformation using this Fit Father program. We're talking about dropping over 40 pounds, but outside of the physical changes, just completely rewiring and recentering himself into more peace, happiness, creating a full new identity. One of the reasons Hugo was able to make such powerful changes and why this is a unique episode is Hugo is also a clinical psychologist over in the UK with over two decades helping people through all sorts of mental illnesses and just to help them thrive mentally and emotionally. And what I wanted to make this a hybrid episode is in the first part, we're going to hear Hugo's story about how he used this program, what he went through and overcame all the things that he learned. In the second half, we're actually going to put Hugo in the expert seat and we're going to be talking to him as a clinical psychologist about depression, about mood disorders, and about how every single time you make a change in your life, you are making a change to a system, the system of your family, your relationships, your work, and how systems thinking from early on in your Fit Father journey is one of the keys to creating sustainability. So I really encourage you to tune into this entire conversation, not just to hear a story of an amazing man and one of our Fit Father brothers who absolutely crushed it with this program, but to also get some wisdom from a clinical psychologist and from his expert opinion on how we can all make change more transformational, how we can bring our loved ones and our spouse and our family members along this ride with us so that we can create lasting change. That's what we're about here. So without further ado, let's get into this special hybrid episode with Fit Father Hugo Nell. I'm really excited to give you this conversation. All right, Hugo, welcome officially to the Fit Father Project podcast, my friend. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor and I'm humbled. Thank you very much. This is going to be a good one. And actually a first one of its kind, because we're going to be doing a little bit of like our standard member interview. Tell us about your experience with this program and the methodology and how it changed your life. But in the back half of this, I actually want to lean on some of your expertise. I mean, 20 years in clinical psychology, treating all sorts of different people over in the UK. And I think it's going to be really cool to also talk about some mental health, as well as some of your perspectives on the fundamentals of the program or the mechanics and how that relates to just everyone increasing their well-being. So I know you're prepped for that, and we're going to have a lot of amazing stuff. But let's kick off with a little bit about you. Please introduce us to a little bit about your background, anything you'd like to share, your name, your age, where you're from, where you grew up, maybe some stuff about your profession, because it's certainly going to be relevant as we go on. And then we'll get into your Fit Father journey. Okay. So I'm 47 years old or young, as it, as, as it seems to be. And uh, I feel 47 years young. Um, South African, and I was born, and I'm Brit now, but I was born in South Africa. For career purposes in 2001, I moved to Britain and I've lived here ever since. And I'm a chartered clinical 
psychologist, but I've worked for over 20 years in clinical settings, a variety of settings from GP, community mental health practices, all the way through um, to where I've been working for the last nine years, which is um, an inpatient forensic setting where I specialise working with females who present with complex mental health difficulties. I've worked my way up over the years, all the way into senior management, setting up new services. And uh, yes, I've Count that for now. Um, that'll be part of my story. I've got a 13-year-old daughter uh, who lives with her mother, and uh, I've very recently got engaged, which was great news. And uh, congratulations! Yeah, um, my fiance loves running, and she's really got into uh, the fit father lifestyle. We just exercise in, in different ways, but we're very much on the nutritional side of things and nailing it together, which is uh, which is really really great. Yeah, I'd like to take us back. Take us back to like where you were at in your life before you found FFP. Give us a little bit of a snapshot of like what prompted you to start to look more deeply into your fitness. What was going on? What were some of the energy momentum in your life at that time? And then we'll get into like your experience on the program. I think before I start with all of that, I think for me, in order to have started this journey, um, I had a, a lot of experiences of of failing to address the issues. And I think I had to accept in the really deep level that if I if I don't change, this is going to end in my life, it's going to end in disaster. And uh, it was a drastic change that was needed. And, and I had several experiences running up to that point. But, you know, going back all the way to my childhood, I was very active as a child. I was a, a runner from age 12, 13. I was in school athletics. And I was a triathlete for um, in my early teens and for the university teams. I was swimming for the university. I was studying sports science before as my other major to clinical psychology and did track athletics for the university. You know, so so that's sort of my background. I thought I was going to either be a psychologist or a professional athlete. You know, those were the, the the areas that I was really interested in. I was actually on my way to Australia at one point to enroll in uh, in in sports psychology course, but um, I went down the clinical track instead. You know, in my early 30s, I did the Bill Phillips Body for Life a couple of times, um, had some great success, but it was just not sustainable. And that was the thing that every time I tried something, it was that sustainability just didn't work. I just somehow fell off the, the track. But, you know, I learned in the mid-2000s that I had a family history of heart disease with my dad, um, uh, really at some really near misses with his with his health and then learned that his mother had also some some difficulties with her heart so i knew there were some bad genes in the background but you know you don't do anything about it because your your blood work looks all right and um, you're young and you've got a good a good background in fitness so you know it doesn't touch you but it catches up with you you know i think one of the things that i've probably learned more than anything is habits and time bad habits and time works against you Good habits and time works for you. And uh, it's, it is just a matter of time if you have bad habits before you get to that point where um, things are critical. I've seen it in clinical practice with the diabetes patients that I've worked with. Um, they all end up at that point where they start looking for help when they've lost a foot or when they're about to lose a foot. Um, and um, yeah, uh, so in similar ways, I was probably heading down that track with my health. And uh, yeah, it was just that yo-yo pattern. I don't know, people probably know it very, very much, you know, where you where you peak with your weight around Christmas time and then the, the fat guilt sets in. 
they start slowly losing weight towards the summer. And then after the summer is, is gone and the, the colder months start setting in, you start that upward trajectory with all the festivities and the cozy weather sitting in and the eating habits changing with the weather and you have all the excuses of why to eat badly. And that was sort of the pattern that I've just been up and down, hitting 220 and then desperately trying to lose weight, hitting 193. But it wasn't until, you know, work just happened with me where there was lots of changes at work, senior management positions. I was asked to go and work in the satellite site in Essex, which is a, a few hours drive from where I live. And it was COVID, I had to stay in a hotel, everything was shut. And where do you eat? And I just didn't have the knowledge to, to do this right. I thought I had the knowledge and I thought it was eating well. If I was in there now, boy, would that be different. Um, but then... I didn't know what to do. Um, and I, I quickly realized that takeout every night is a bad idea um, in my hotel room on your own. You know, so you've got the isolation, um, all of those things. It's just a bad combination. All the gyms are shut. And uh, I ballooned in the eight months that I was there to 222, which was the highest I've ever been. And, uh, you know, it was just the relationship I had with myself was awful. I really, really disliked myself. and. It was at that point that I just realized, you know, I'm in a vicious cycle. But I had lots of time to reflect in the evenings after work. You know, um, a, a hotel room can be a very lonely place. And I just realized the poor behaviors that I had, it was my, my enemy. I had no structure. You know, I just lacked the knowledge. I didn't have the right knowledge. Um, and I didn't have the tools to implement the right things. And I started searching for a solution during this time. And yeah, I tried different different things. And um, I even tried calisthenics because I used to do gymnastics. But I mean, you've seen the before photos. I was not in a shape to do pull-ups. And I, I tore my brachialis muscle because uh, I thought I could do that put me out for months. Uh, but I kept searching and I just realized, you know, I, I, this is not the right thing. But I stumbled across some of your YouTube videos in, in my hotel room and I started listening. And I thought, this is different. You know, these are, you know, the talks are about sustainability. It's about simple. It's about process-driven. There's things about behavioral hooking. You know, all these words that in my practice just sounded like this is something else. And I started delving into it. And it was with a tenacity that I um, started making notes around some of the things you said. And I started following some of those principles. And very, very quickly, I just saw a huge shift in how I felt. Um, this is before I even subscribed to the program. But it was in that summer of, I think it was September, a year ago, 21, that I um, subscribed to the Fit Father Project. And I, I just bought a member, member for, membership for life because within, I think, six or eight weeks, I lost about 10, 15 pounds just by monitoring my diet. I was doing some intermittent fasting and 24-hour fasts anyway, um, uh, just because that was something I started doing while I was in um, um, uh, there but yeah so that's sort of how how i got into the program and the rest is is yeah the rest is history well i mean now let's talk <laughs> about what's happened in this last year i think it's a phenomenal background that a lot of people can relate to particularly it sounds like you had it very tough during that covid period i mean the isolation the food complete disruption of routine to make you realize that you never really had a good one anyways and then you start to join this Fit Father program that's all about helping you understand structure and system, install that for you in your life. What's it like as you're starting to learn and how does your body change over this year? Kind of like catch us up to where you go from really not loving yourself to honestly looking like you're in incredible health and shape all across the board now one year. So let's go through what happened during that year. I think 
I'm sort of just going to try and be a little bit systematic. And um, because before we, we caught up, I just thought about this and just thought, you know, a year is such a short space of time, really. And the shifts that I've experienced, never mind the, the my appearance that's changed quite a lot, um, but my mental state, um, my relationship with myself, the important bits, the things that make you who you are has changed fundamentally in such a short space of time. You know, I if my patients that I work with can change this much, with therapy, I'd be absolutely over the moon. And I've done no therapy. I've changed my behaviors. I've changed what I eat. I've changed how I move. And it's changed me as a person because my core beliefs have changed. And I think that's the overarching message is that this Fit Father project changes you as a human being, period. It changes your mindset. It changes your relationship with yourself. And it gives you what you need to really be the best version of yourself you've ever been. Um, and then you probably look a bit better as well, which is a bonus. But for me, that material that you shared, just the way it's all set out. Um, and for me, it I like structure. I, I need structure in my life. Um, everything I do um, is about a process. It's about structure. And um, saying that, isn't it sad that my health habits were everything but structured? They were terrible. They were, it was. It was. A, it, it. It wasn't something that was helpful to me at all. Um, but if you take the material, um, I really just took my time. To work through it. And I think reflection is probably one of the most important things. It, I very, very early on realized that this is a process because you talk about how it's a system. Um, and for me, that's what was most important. It's not a program. This is a, a system designed to create a lifestyle and you've got to follow the process. So um, I just delved into all, as many videos as I could find. And there are, but over a thousand videos on, on, on your YouTube, YouTube channel. All th- <laughs> and I've spent months just listening, listening, listening. I've got a notes um, still today. I, I watch everything that you publish and make notes and link it in with, with where you're at, because that's for me, that's the way to do it because this is, everything is interlinked. Um, and you know, I can't not talk about the why power because I realized very early on, if you can connect strongly enough with the reasons um, why I'm doing this, then the behavior changes would be much more meaningful. And for me, you know, and that creates an emotional journey because you've got to accept some some difficult things about yourself. You've got to accept that maybe you don't have the self-control you thought you had. Maybe you've got impulse control problems and you have to accept that because if you don't accept those things, they're going to keep making you stumble. And you've got to come to terms with the things that pulls you away from being healthy. And unless you accept it, without acceptance, there's no change. Um, So that was a hard journey for me. And those reflections, um, I can't recommend anyone who listens to this, those reflections that you get us to make um, in uh, the, uh, the FFX 30, yeah, the first couple steps of FF30X, yeah. Absolutely. I still use them daily. Um, I've got a different version of it now, but I use those principles of reflection, gratitude practice um, every day. I 
go through it in morning and in the evening um, because it that's part of the process. You've got to reflect. If you don't reflect and think and see how things are, are shifting, it doesn't give you the, the, the results that you want. So initially, uh, my white power was all about weight loss because I thought, oh, you know, I just want to look a bit better um, and feel a bit better. But I very quickly realized that wasn't really what my white power was about. Um, it then shifted a little bit to, to body fat because I wanted to do OSM. So I wanted to get my, my goals um, around body fat percentages down. And then when I started OSM, um, I started seeing how my, um, my numbers progressed. I just realized, you know, for me, this is about basically to die young as late as possible. That's what it's about. That's what Fit Father is all about for me. It's about making that investment now that will enable me to live alive into retirement without ending up in a wheelchair in retirement and be, that being the most awful years of my life. Um, you know, this is a, a, a toolkit. It's like an investment account. The more you put in now, the more you're going to get out later. And I think people try and withdraw too much when they're young um, and then they, when it's too late, they try and put back in. It doesn't work that way. And I think that's one of the the big things that my white power was was centering around and yeah you know the nutrition um i can't and for me i think from a habits perspective nutrition has been the thing that probably for the longest period of time i've um been the worst at um and that's for me now the bit that i'm focusing the most on because i think getting that spot on all the time is the hardest and, you know, there's no off season when it comes to eating healthily. Um, you know, it, you're either in it and you do it or you, you're not. You know, you've got to, um, yes, within, within reason, life happens. And, um, and Fit Father Project, um, all the, the principles that you have designed around that allows you to, uh, to, to manage your, your diet around life um, very easily, very simply, you know. But you've got to get it right first. And those are the behaviours that is the hardest to break for me personally, because um, I've, I've been eating bad for, what, 20 years. Um, and uh, uh, exercise, I'm much better at getting into an exercise routine. And I think it's probably because I don't have a, a history of bad exercising. But I've got a history of bad eating. So there was a lot more new learning that I had to do around the eating from a, almost from a neurological kind of perspective rather than with the, with, with, with the exercising. But, you know, all the behavioral um, principles that you talk about, um, those little snippets of the videos and the lessons that you send through, is just invaluable, you know, from the food labels to how to shop. Um, and it's true, um, you know, <laughs> shop the perimeter of the, uh, of the supermarket, you know, all, the, all of those really golden nuggets of information that you've, that you've shared. Um, but for me, it was about just tackling one behavior at a time because there are so many things that need to change. You can completely feel overwhelmed by all the different things. And I think it's just about trying to build consistency I personally make use of habit stacking. So I know in the morning, I have coffee. So how am I going to drink that litre of water, that 32 ounces of water in the morning? Well, I'm going to put my water glass on my coffee machine because um, that way I know <laughs> I need to do that. And, um, and then I, when that was established, I put my gym bag on the worktop next to my coffee machine. And, um, and I just sort of used that idea that you had around um, put your, your clothes ready the night before. And I've, I've extended that to, uh, 
to it looks like a, a, a process conveyor belt in my house from from my bedroom all the way down to the coffee machine with just little bits of stuff that as I strumple down in the morning at 4 a.m 4 30 a.m to get ready for the gym I'm I'm on auto, autopilot now and it sort of just all happens and before I know it I'm doing my first 10 minutes on the bike warming up um, and everything is in my gym bag and then I do the reverse as well when I get back um, it's my reflection on how the workout went doing my my notes printing out my new schedule putting that in my gym bag with a date on for the next time ready for you know and it's it it just works and and all of that information you provide us with and um i just find it phenomenal so yes i've done quite a few of the the, the programs i think um i've um, I started with, yeah, obviously phase one, Apex 10, which, um, you know, that's the killer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to ask your opinion on that real fast to park on the Apex 10. You know, it just so happens that one of the toughest workouts in the program in some respects happens to find you very early on, you know, in the first 30 days. And, and it takes a little bit of like gritting through to like to one, you can improve quickly, but it's hard when you're starting it out. How do you think that pl- that psychology of approaching that hard thing in the first 30 days plays into the program's like makeup or the success that people have? Or, you know, speak into that a little bit, the early days of exercise for you and maybe the overall program reflections. I think the early days for me was um, very much um, challenging physically. Getting to the gym, some people just struggle getting to the gym. But for me, those those workouts, they are tough. Um, the big five, if you've not lifted for a, for a while, it's it's heavy to suddenly do squats and to get the form right and and to do deadlifts and to get the form right you know it's it's complex movements um and if you're not used to moving and if you if you've got stiff muscles and you're not flexible all of those things make it really challenging the apex 10 if we just stop with that um yes um it really makes you realize how unfit you are and you can go two ways there you know you can it can be evidence that you that you crap at everything you do and and you can you can, it, it will make you feel like giving up or you can take that step back and ask yourself what is this actually telling me what 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 is this about this is about um keep bringing perspective um you know, if you don't know what it is to suffer or if you don't know what hard is you're not going to know what easy is so you've got to start with the hard so you can track progress. This this entire program is about tracking progress. You, you know, from body measurements, from daily weigh-ins, from measuring your fat percentages, checking your your everything is about process. And that process of the apex ten being a butt kicker tells you where you're at, and you just need to take that in. And realize that if you add one rep per exercise, uh, you know the story of the man with the donkey on the, the the bull in the shoulders that walks up. You know, it's one of your your fables that you that you use. One rep a day, even with Apex Ten, even if it's if you do them on your knees. I started with uh, I think around around seven eight the first few times that I've done it, I had to go to knees and. It was hard, and I wanted it to stop. But 
if it's if it's easy, it's you're not doing it right. Um, it, exercise isn't designed to be easy. Exercise is designed to challenge you it, in 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 terms of the. So I think overall, for me, it was about that reflection afterwards. It's about um, how well did I do it. But I think it's so important that you also ask yourself, how much did I enjoy it? Because if you work out to look better, you're going to get bored very quickly. If you work out to feel better, you're going to be brilliant at it every time. Because there is, it's impossible to work out and not feel good. So if you start making that your reflection, that's going to be the motivation that's going to keep you going. And that's the thing for me. I don't work out for any body goals anymore. I work out because it makes me feel great. And I win every day by feeling great after I've done a workout, um, especially in the days that I feel crap. Um, there's nothing as great as driving back at 6.30 in the morning to go and have your um, post-workout shake, which is one of my treats, and think 6.30, I've already done 90 minutes of hard exercise and I've got a whole day ahead of me. I've so won this day. <laughs> um, so for me, that was sort of the the motivation around, or that is the least motivation around it. But I think for me, reflection is so important. I sit down every morning after I've done, whether it's an OSM workout, um, whether it's a HIIT workout, I sit down and I think, how did it go? How did I feel? And then I strive for that incremental increase. Whether it's a five pounds, a one percent, a two percent increase, there are some days where I'm doing front squats at the moment and struggling with those a little bit because they just hit me in a way that <laughs> that's um, that's different. And I'm upping the weight by two and a half kilos at a time. And then instead of a ten percent drop, I make an eight percent drop because that that's going to challenge me as well. So that's how I sort of approach that. I know I'm not hitting because it's not about that high number. It's about getting the form right. And it's about just that small, because if I do, if I do six lifts where I've done two and a half kilos extra, I've upped my weight dramatically. Big time. And I'm so much stronger. And if I look at what I squatted in big five, when I started, I think I, my, my, my squat um, weight was, um, I'm just converting now. I think it was about a, You can do it in kilos. It's about 50, 55 kilos. And I'm now back squatting 95 kilos um, in, in, in OSM. And that's what's happened in a year. Um, and I can probably go heavier, but I'm mindful that I'm older. Um, I'm going to take it easy and I'm not, I'm not there to win any records or to impress anyone. Um, I'm there to make a small progression each time. And I'm squatting almost double the weight that I started with. Yeah, it probably feels better too. And the, the range of movement that I have is just, it's just incredible. Um, I couldn't move like this a few years ago. Um, and I'm delighted to see that you've put the, uh, the, the, the yoga um, for men the, um, yeah. the, the man flow yoga is just, it's just out. I saw, I can't wait yeah. to start that because I've been doing some of those workouts um, because that's part of my routine now is in the evenings. I do 20 minutes of, of some sort of yoga um, to keep the flexibility up. 
what I think is so cool about this is as you're sharing, I'm also reflecting just how the Fit Father Project has been a container for you to express your very own enthusiasm and create your own perfect health routine now that involves yoga, that involves the perspective of, of how you're using your habit stacking. The, even that, I think one thing that's really unique you've shared that I haven't heard other guys on this podcast share is how intentional you are about these moments of reflection around these key habits. So for example, that post-workout reflection, just taking a couple of those moments to feel, to think, enables you to create an even faster emotional connection, probably even faster positive momentum, faster pivots if there is something off. It's a self-awareness process, no doubt about that. How encouraging is it too that at 47, you can create such phenomenal improvements to your physical capacities in a short amount of time? Like if I would have told you, which I didn't know if that was possible for you, everyone's a little different. But if I would have told you you would be able to do this, it wouldn't even seem like possible. It's just really about in the initial stage, like losing 10 extra pounds, and then you discover all this amazing stuff. So this is as much of a surprise for me as it is for you. And it's really cool to see how effective this has been for you. Oh, absolutely. But for me, it's the internal shifts that's that's so profound. Um, it's that walking down, so I don't know, hospitals, they've got long corridors, don't they? So in the mornings, when I travel down that corridor to go and uh, put my my lunch in the in the fridge, um, I shake and my lunch. Um, and it's quiet because I go in early and I just feel so incredible. Um, it's just this inner peace that I have that I've never, never known before. My stress levels have, have reduced. Um, um, part of the, one of the things that I've completely changed as well as a result of the Fit Fathers is I've, I've stepped away from senior management roles because um, I've asked myself what's important. Um, in, and this is all part of the reflections that I've done. Um, my fiance keeps telling me, you know what, you work so hard. There were times where I started at 4.30 in the mornings just to get through my emails for the day because it was just so overwhelming. And uh, I would still be at work at 7, 8 o'clock dealing with crises and staffing issues and all of that. And uh, and then you get home and it's just chaos um, in your, in, because you're hungry, you, you, you're tired, all of those things. And I just realized that for me, some some guys are probably absolutely able to do it, but for me personally, it was just I realized that I was I was I was living to work. It's a quote that you shared. Um, it hit me very early on. It was I might misquote you, but it was about you said health is the foundation of everything. Without your health, you've got nothing, and that always stuck with me. And when my girlfriend said to me, but you get up at 4.30, where is this going to end? You know what? Even if you, if you pass away from stress or whatever, everyone will miss you. But they'll replace you in three months. Yeah. Um, and that got me thinking. And I just realized, you know what? I want to have a completely different way of being. I want to do things I love. I want to be a therapist. I want to help people. Um, I want to develop new psychologists, but I want to come home. I want to feel healthy. I want to feel great. And I cut back my work hours. I stepped away from senior management positions and I just work with patients and developing teams now rather than services and all of that. Because for me, it is about that longer picture. And, you know, people who live the longest, they have a zest for life. 
And I just found that that part of my 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 job was taking that zest away because it was just so all all, all involving, and I had to make some some choices around that. So that's the kind of change that this has brought. Yes, and I probably look a lot better. The, the amount of comments that I've had from colleagues where they just go, "You go, you've really trimmed down. Actually, you look you look really lean. Um, you know, you look so strong." You, and you know, the number of times uh, it's initially, and for the guys that that's just starting this out, initially nobody's going to notice that you're working out. I was probably in in phase three, and I've already lost a lot of weight. And I kept saying to my fiance, I said, "You know." Not many people have noticed that, you know. And I thought, yeah, because I'm quite senior at work, maybe people just don't feel comfortable saying it. But And then suddenly it was just like a watershed moment where something has just shifted. And the amount of comments that I just started getting about looking different and being different. And yeah, it's... I'm just having difficulty selling all my old suits at the moment. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, <for laughs> they're sure. way too big. Yeah, no. it's a good problem to have. As we said, many <laughs> guys will say yeah, that. yeah, yeah. All right, so I want to take this in a in a little more specific direction now that we've kind of have a really solid backstory of your experience and particularly the importance of the mental emotional shifts that came as a byproduct of taking this action, building your system, aligning yourself, doing the practice of all of this. Let's talk about like mental health today. I think it might be a fair statement to say that it's possible we have some of the worst mental health we've ever had in the past 10, 20 years because of what's happened in the last several years. Stresses, things are changing. COVID didn't help in a lot of scenarios. Can you can you talk about the prevalence and maybe even like the economic burden of the mental health issues so people can get a perspective? And then we'll maybe talk about like the how-to and the approach of to help ourselves and to help our loved ones through whatever kind of mental health journey they're on. Yes, I think, um, so there are so many different mental health disorders out there, but I think if we stop with one of the probably the least talked ones that has the biggest impact um, is good old depression. And uh, um, it's also known as uh, major depression disorder or clinical depression. And it's it's a very very serious problem, um, and uh, and as you said, all of these changes that we've had over the last years, the, the economical changes, the COVID, working from home, um, forcing people into situations that's really stressful. All of all of those people who have had underlying vulnerabilities have had more difficulties with mental health problems, and I think. Um, just to talk a little bit about statistics here, I think if we look at the United States, we've got probably about 21 million Americans that is suffering from uh, a major depressive episode. That's about 9%, 8% population. At some point, an adult will have that. In I think, you know, that's um, at least one a major depressive episode that they would have. Um, and, you know, it's more common amongst females, but you have this this issue around does males just report it less than, than females? Because, but at the moment, the statistics that we have tells us that females are more likely to develop depression. However, if you think about the impact of suicide and people ending their lives, men are more at risk, especially middle-aged men. So if you think about suicide rates, the, if you're middle-aged, 
living in your own, having relationship difficulties, being overweight, having chronic health problems. Those are probably some of the five big warning signs um, that we need to very carefully assess around um, around um, risk factors for, for suicide. I think in 2020 in the UK, there was about 10 suicides per 100,000 people in the States. It's slightly higher. I think we're talking about 14, 15 suicides per 100,000 people. But to put this in perspective, we're talking about, if you look at heart disease and stroke, which is a much bigger killer than depression, the economic burden of those illnesses are about um, three, three $360 billion a year uh, versus $320 billion for depression. So that gives you a sense of the economic burden that depression has because of um, length of time people need to be off work, the difficulties people have in focusing. Because if you think about the essence of depression, it takes away your drive, it takes away your your your, your sense of, 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 of enjoyment. And people just struggle to be effective when yeah. they have a um, when they have that difficulty. And you know, you can suffer for it for it, it puts people out for months. So it's got a very, very profound impact on on the economy and also on people's lives. So I think, you know, I don't know People often ask what's the difference between depression and sadness because that's the, the commonality is feeling sad. Um, you know, and I, I think sadness is a very it's a very normal feeling. We all feel sad from time to time. It's a, a trigger, you have a loss of some sort and you feel sad and it's appropriate sadness. Depression is something else. Depression is um, a, a very profound sadness that people have that doesn't always have a very clear trigger. So um, if you look at the diagnostic criteria, really, the, you thinking about you need to have a depressed mood um, at least two weeks, or you need to have um, a lack of enjoyment for at least two weeks, or anhedonia, as we call it, where you just have that complete loss of interest. And other people need to be able to notice that. And with that, you also then have problems around your weight, um, losing weight, or some people gain weight. You've got a, a sense of your thought processes slowing down, which then affect your decision-making. You have that sense of energy and fatigue that's constantly there. You know, people with significant, with serious depression, they struggle to get out of bed and make breakfast because their thoughts are just so sluggish and, and the decision, they just don't know what to do. It is such a debilitating difficulty. You know, some of the people that I've worked with would be able to to get up out of bed and spend the day in a chair in front of a window and then just get back into bed, unable to wash themselves, unable to, to, to look after their personal care. And with that, you have a sense of worthlessness, uh, shortened view of the future, um, inappropriate guilt often. And then um, it's that indecisiveness. And then very often you have dark thoughts, um, thoughts about wanting to end your life, or you may have plans to end your life, even, even, even more significant. Um, and in order to have a diagnosis is you need to look for either a depressed mood or loss of pleasure for two weeks. And, um, and then you also need, um, you know, three other symptoms or four other symptoms um, out of the others. And it needs to be present for two weeks and it needs to have a significant impact on your functioning. So if you meet all of those criteria, you would probably be classed as having a major depressive episode. I think the difference then between sadness and depression is just you get over 
sadness, you know. You still enjoy things. You can feel sad and watch Tilly and have a laugh. People who have depression just don't have that. And people um, with sadness still function at work. People with depression, there's an impact, a loss of functionality. And that's sort of one of the key things. Um, I guess if we start looking at the at the treatment. Yeah, that'd be what I want to go to because many people will initially say, I've either been depressed or I know someone close to me who's been depressed. And pharmaceutical intervention is one thing that's heavily pushed, at least here in the United States, as a possible way. This is a chemical imbalance. Let's fix this with some kind of SS or SNRI or something like that. What's the, I guess my real question to kind of guide the, the next part of our conversation is what is the approach that you've found to treating depression and approaching that? And like, also, if you can draw parallels between this journey that you recently walked on, because I'm sure, mm-hmm. obviously, with your mood improvements and the physical improvements, there are common themes here. And everyone listening will get benefit from understanding how, you know, I'm sure these are just practical life things that people can do, as well as if you have someone suffering, like, listen up. So take us through that, please, Hugo. I guess there's slight differences in the severity of depression that you have. So in your less severe depressions, I think one of the the key differences is that we would also offer a group therapy, a cognitive behavioral group therapy. So just to, to frame this, so we need to look, when we think about treatment, we need to look at what the evidence is. So we would look at something like the NICE guidelines for the treatment of depression. So NICE stands for the National Institute for Clinical Excellence. It's a, it's a body that basically looks at all the research available, the best quality research, and based on that, they highlight what the gold standard treatments are for this disorder. And they've got that for most disorders, actually. So NICE tells us that for less severe depression, you need to have a cognitive behavioral therapy, or you can start with guided self-help. So for people who's, 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 who's less severe depressed, I would often prescribe some self-help materials. So that's books that they can work through because they still have that cognitive ability to, to follow that through and make some progress with that. So we would often start with that. Or we would offer them some some cognitive behavioral group therapy where they have the benefit of like-minded individuals um, um, in a group. And we would sort of go through the principles of the the treatment in in a group format. Or um, more commonly, um, what I normally do is I see people for individual cognitive behavioral therapy um, with a behavioral activation component attached to that. And that's the bit that I think we need to stop at a little bit later on when we talk about the parallels. Interestingly, NICE guidelines, and this is another parallel, I think NICE guidelines also talk about exercise. And I remember um, in the good old days of the NHS, about 20 years ago, I frequently asked GPs to uh, to, to prescribe gym memberships for people because um, it's important that they exercise more because the evidence tells us that people who move are less depressed. And there's a lot of research out there that, that, uh, that, 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 that talk about that. And then you get your your chemical interventions. And the most commonly used one is your selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So that's uh, basically to increase the serotonin in your brain. It's a neurotransmitter. People with depression don't have enough serotonin in their brains. And you prescribe an SSRI that basically lifts those neurotransmitter levels in the brain um, by inhibiting the um, uptake of um, of serotonin. Um, So it's your Prozac. Your fluoxetines, for example, that's that's one of the the medicines, and it's very effective for more serious depression. What the nice guidelines tell us is that the most effective form of treatment is a combination of cognitive behavioral therapy and medication. 
and you know medication um, is is an important part. But for me, because I'm a psychologist, I don't have a a, a, a big perspective on, on on medication. That's just something that I work with um, our medics to, uh, to 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 get in place for patients. But basically, um, we focus on individual cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, the doctors sort the meds, and um, and then we work on behavioral activation. So if somebody's profoundly depressed. Um, the first thing that we do before, because they, they just can't access their thoughts. So I don't know, cognitive behavioral therapy, for those that don't know what, what it's about, it's basically, it's a therapy to shift your mood. Um, it's a therapy to make you feel better by looking at what are your thought processes and what's the relationship between the way you see yourself, others in the world, and your behaviors, your mood, and how us all of those things have a reinforcing role on one another. So we would have behavioral interventions to shift beliefs, and we would have um, interventions to shift thoughts. And we would teach people how to do that for themselves. So we would typically see somebody for about 16 sessions um, for moderate depressive episodes, that's usually enough, where we basically teach them how to look after themselves by becoming more aware of their thought processes. So we would focus on all of those kind of things about, yeah, and we would get them to, to log their thoughts, record the thought log, um, and evaluate basically how their thoughts are impacting on their behaviors. And they need to understand what the maintenance cycles are. So they need to understand when I feel bad in the morning and I don't get up, what does that behavior do? It tells me that I can't do it. So it reinforces that thought. So what's the way out of it? So we do what we call a behavioral experiment where we would get them to get up test it out, do a little bit of movement, maybe make a coffee or do something that they used to enjoy because it's all about that lack of pleasure experience. So that's the behavioral activation stuff that we would start with by getting people to start behaving again in ways that they used to find enjoyable. And then we would add a cognitive component in there by getting them to reflect on how much pleasure did that give them? How did that impact on their mood? Whether this is in their best interest to keep doing and then thinking about um, how they can keep doing this going forward. So, and then we would give them homework and we would sort of work our way forward with that. Um, there are some counseling and short-term psychodynamic therapies that people um, can have as well. Um, the evidence based is cognitive behavioral therapy and uh, I'm a trained cognitive behavioral therapist. So that's sort of more the, the line that that I'm able to, to, to talk about. But I guess to link up with your previous comment about exercise and the impact of, of, of that and Fit Father project and the journey really is, I think, again, it's about the research telling us that people who are obese are more likely to suffer from depression. People who, who don't move are more likely to, um, to have negative views of themselves. Um, you know, I, I know for sure that that was the case with me. Um, I didn't think very kindly about myself. I had very unkind thoughts towards myself, which impacts on your mood. Had I a biological vulnerability to develop depression? Yeah, sure, I could have developed depression. I was lucky that I didn't have a biological vulnerability to develop, to develop depression. Um, but, you know, um, you know, that fat shaming that you do yourself all the time. Um, and I'm sure I've heard it so often now people look at themselves being overweight um, and having really unkind thoughts about themselves. Now, that's a lot. If you've been if you've been overweight and obese for a very long time, it's very difficult to shift that mindset. And I think that is also part of why this lifestyle is so important. And, you know, people have these thoughts that I'm, I'm useless. I can't even do a, a press up. Uh, you know, and they have lots of lots of experiences that have confirmed those beliefs. So it's very quickly um, that sedentary lifestyle adds to negative self 
thoughts and self-evaluations that fuels being more active, that fuels being low in mood. And that can trap you very quickly in a vicious cycle. And I think now that we know that we know that exercise is something that is prescribed by nice guidelines, we know that there's studies out there that shows that resistance training um, has a positive effect on reduction of depressive episodes. But what's interesting is that research is a very big study that they've done in the States. I think they've looked at about a million people. And that study found that, yes, resistance training is probably the best kind of exercise to support people with reducing low mood. However, they also looked at the time frame and it needs to be sustained for a prolonged period of time in order to have a real impact. So it brings us back to that whole point about a lifestyle. So exercise is phenomenally effective at reducing uh, because it, it just changes, you know, think a little bit about it. If you've had a lifetime of believing, I can't do anything, and you suddenly, you you over a few weeks, you complete an apex 10. What does that say about yourself? What does that do to that belief, I'm useless? It knocks it out of the sky. It completely rewrites that belief because you've got evidence, behavioral evidence that's showing you, you can actually do something that you didn't think. And it's a very, very effective tool in doing that. So so that is phenomenal. Just the fact that you get people with this program to do things that directly opposes some of the unhelpful beliefs that they've had for a very long time. So without doing any talking therapy, you're changing the way they see themselves. And that's where the power and the momentum of this program starts to, to kick in. And I think it's what's the beauty of FFP is that it's designed to be a lifestyle, a sustainable lifestyle that really transforms you on a, on a behavioral, a physiological, a cognitive and a spiritual level. And, and that's the, the, it's the golden nugget, um, you know, and it, it just has all of those, um, those, those, those components um, in, in place. So um, you know, there's so many touch points, you know, um, between modern therapies, cognitive behavioral therapy and Fit Father Project. If you just think about the behavior activation work that is done um, and the, the very systematic planning your day, scheduling your meals, um, scheduling your workouts, planning when you're going to do your shop, planning your food shop. Um, if you just schedule those things in, each one of those things makes you feel okay about yourself. Because you've now planned your, your food shop. It's a structure. It gives structure to your day. It gives structure to your life. One of the things that I get all my patients to do is at the end of the day, I want them to sit down and think about five things that, that went well. Gratitude practice. That's built into the Fit Father Project. You know, Think about the gratitude. What, what do you have to be thankful for today? What went well today? What didn't go so well today? What are you going to do different? It's all of those principles wrapped around exercise wrapped around lifestyle change, which is just um, phenomenal in, in, in terms of, um, of, of that. And then you've got the brotherhood. I haven't said anything about the brotherhood yet, but what we know about behavioral change and motivation, if you want to be successful at something, surround you with like-minded people. That's the number one thing. And you've got, I don't know how many thousand people is in the brotherhood or in the sisterhood, but it's a phenomenal place. And that thing is a bank account. The more you put in, the more you get out. You know, so yeah. People shouldn't underestimate that. There's a wealth. I'm not going to start naming people because there are so many extraordinary men in that group that just shows the deepest level of compassion 
I am in the year that I followed that group there, and I'm quite active in the group. But in the year that I followed those conversations, I'm yet to see a harsh comment. I'm yet to see a judgmental comment. This is really people who understand at a fundamental level where people are at, because we've all been there in yeah. one way or another. Yeah. We've been there. Yeah. And boy, we're gonna, we're gonna, we we don't like. We know how hard it is. And we're gonna carry you through. Um, and that's what that group's about. It's a phenomenal place. And I think people shouldn't underestimate it. And remember, surround yourself with people who are aiming for the same thing if you want to be successful. And that group is, is the embodiment of that. Just like the group therapy for depression. Right. It's like-minded people that have a common goal and they share some stories and it normalizes. It helps you understand where you've been, how hard it is. So it validates, it normalizes. <laughs> um, and then you see people making changes. And you've got the coaches, the therapists, you know, you've got the Bens and the cats there um, that's shaping behavior. And yeah, it's just an amazing place. And yeah, so I think the overarching principles around Fit Father Project is just it creates a fitter, healthier, happier you with a lower risk of developing depression. So, you know, because it's, it is going to change the way you see yourself. So A plus for mental health, right. not only because of the exercise, but because of the entirety of the program, the, the system. And that's what it's about. I always say, forget about outcomes outcomes yeah have them there in the in the foreground but if you love the process you're going to be better every day you're going to be happy every day because so often i see people writing the, in the brotherhood um uh, i've reached my goal now well, you know if you've hit your goal now what and then you've got to set another one and then you just make it harder and harder and harder and harder for yourself whereas the actual goal is the process the results will follow. Don't worry about the results. If you follow the process, if you just do what you teach us, you'll be fine. Just love the process and you'll be okay. Don't worry so much about the, the goals because every big river starts with a stream. And it's those little streams, it's those drops of water that accumulates over time that suddenly brings the magnificent waterfalls that we see in the rivers and the big shifts. Um, so it's just about nurturing those streams and loving the process that brings the change. Um, so, yeah, don't get hung up so much about, about that. Yeah, I don't know if it would be helpful to just think a little bit about this idea of the, I guess, what happens when you've done this for a while. It changes you as a person. This needs to be a lifestyle. In order to, be, in order to have an, a profound impact on your mood in the long run, it needs to be a lifestyle. Everyone strives to make this a lifestyle, I'm sure of it. But there's a lot of friction points. And I think there are some friction points. Um, and friction points in behavioral change, that's not a good thing. Because <laughs> friction points when you try and change behaviors as the, runs the risk of derailing us. Right. And I think, for me, what's important also from a psychological perspective is, to, is that realization that I had. And my fiance helped me a little bit with this to, to arrive at this point. Because she was very frank with me about how quickly the changes were that she had seen. I've been doing this for a year, but still, you think to have lost what I've lost about 44 pounds in weight since I started this. But in order to do that, I had to make profound changes to my lifestyle. And if you do it for long enough, what we know from a psychological perspective is if you practice a behavior for long enough, 
it's going to change how you view yourself. If you start changing how you view yourself, it's going to change how you do things. And that's how the systems start. So if you live in a household, for instance, if you're part of a household um, where you've always done things in a certain way and um, you go and enroll in Fit Father and you're doing it very, very well, what you need to realize is very quickly you're going to start viewing yourself in a different way. And that's going to impact on your dynamic in that household. It's going to cause friction because it's going to require people to shift with you. Yeah. And, you know, it triggers all sorts of dilemmas, you know. Suddenly you're losing weight and you're losing your family behind. You're taking a lot of time out because to get through this material takes a, a heck of a lot of time and dedication to read all of all of that through. You've got to be, you've got to make that few hours a day initially to get yourself through all of those things. And then there's the workouts. Um, yes, the workouts aren't that long, but it's still part of something that is time consuming and it changes the dynamics in your immediate relationships. How many times I've seen uh, people posting on um, in the Brotherhood about um, people making comments about their eating habits and being too skinny and being to this. And, um, and that, those are the friction points of the wider system that notices the changes and that's almost rebelling against the, the change that they're seeing. Because what happens, systems like to be in balance. As a, as a body, as a human system, we like to be, everything needs to be in homeostasis. And if something shifts, then you stress that system out. And then everything needs to shift again to bring it back into balance. And if you leave it imbalanced, that system is going to warp and it's going to disintegrate. And that's the risk that we run doing this with a lifestyle. If you shift that system, and we shifted quickly because let me tell you, personally, I've shifted fast um, because those behaviors, once you get into them, they change. Because if you every time you cast a vote for that behavior, uh, you've, you, you're closer to winning that election. <laughs> and before you know it, you're a different person. And then you've stressed the system out because the system is still expecting you to be in a certain way. And that's where we run into this dilemma where we start eating friction points. Um, and that's where people then either the system needs to shift with you, your family members, everyone needs to get on board in some way to, to balance it out, or you're going to fall back into the old habits. That's, there, are, there are three ways this will go. It's either going to end up breaking up the system because systems like to be in balance. Just not compatible anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Or... New equilibrium up, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or new equilibrium back down. Uh, absolutely, right. And and it's so important that people realize this early on and bring people along with them, not in a fundamental, profound way, but it's about having those conversations. It's about talking about what it's like to take time to do this and why it's important, and discuss your why power with your loved ones. And you know, you don't need to necessarily involve people at work with it, um, but you know, your immediate immediate systems that has the biggest and profound impact those systems that you think could have the biggest friction point for some people it's their friendship groups for some people it's their their partners for some people it's their it's their work colleagues but you need to figure out in some cases even your job in your case yes. right a fundamental yes. work system that was incompatible with your new 
set point. So you had to change something dramatically there. But yeah, it's people could be activities, but probably one of those two things. 100%. Well spotted. So for me, that is so profound. For this to, for me to have made this something that I am, and I'm still working on it. Um, I, I don't think works ever do because there's always room for improvement. Um, it is about just trying to be as consistent as possible to bring the systems along. Um, and I've had many conversations with my fiance and my partner about this to, to talk about how it impacts on our relationship, um, how my routines impact on her, how I can be more accommodating in, in managing those routines so it doesn't disrupt her life too much because I get up at 4.30 in the morning um, and it, it could disrupt the sleep. Um, so I'm like a ninja in the morning when I leave the bedroom. Um, uh, you know, all sorts of different conversations that we've been having around um, how to, to, to make this as frictionless as possible um, so that people can come along with you. I want to dive in on this specifically. Um, just because I, I think this is the idea of having these kinds of conversations and system recalibration with your primary partner. I don't think we've had someone really talk about this as explicitly as you share now. How does someone go about having this recalibration along in the process with a partner, a particularly a partner who's not on board? I think there's guys who are in a couple situations. They either have a spouse who's more fit than them, has had their stuff figured out, and now I'm getting myself right, or the scenario of I'm getting myself right and on path with that father. I have a spouse who maybe is not healthy. Let's maybe speak into both those common scenarios people might face. What are some actual questions they could possibly ask or ways to approach having this conversation and what you think would be helpful from your experience? I think in the first instance, it's just important for, for, for people to level out with themselves around why they're doing this. Because ultimately, you're trying to be the best version of yourself. And very few people do this for themselves. Most people, when I say for themselves, we all do it for ourselves, but most people do it in order to, to have a fuller life with those they care about. Um, because that's what meaning is about. Meaning is about sharing the, the beauty of life with those that, um, that are meaningful to you. So absolutely, I think you were spot on with those two scenarios, that you either have um, people who are fitter than what you are or people who really struggle with the adjustments that, that you're making. And I think depending on which camp you're in, or regardless of which camp you're in, I think the most important thing to do in the first instance is to sit down and have a have a discussion around just what it is that that this is about um, and how does the person feel about that? Um, what do they think um, could be pitfalls or how do they, you know, often you don't know what it's going to be like until you're a little bit into, into the program. So when I, um, I remember um, when I started this a year ago, I, I really got into it in my some summer break um, at the end of at the end of the, the school holidays. Um, and initially, it was just a little bit time consuming, and I had the time to to sit and read at night and get myself. Um, but you know, it, it adds up because um, I had to then um, fill out my my diaries. I had to start thinking about um, how to shop differently. You know, that's a shock to the system and you suddenly throw the old ways of shopping out the window and uh, um, and you start so you know that's a friction point and you don't know that's a friction point until it happens 
and then partners try and be supportive, I'm sure. Um, but it's a, an adjustment that needs to make. And if you don't talk about those things that, wow, this is different, how does that feel? Or um, how do you think this is, um, you know, how do we want to do this? How are we going to incorporate this new routine in our lives? It's important that you find those friction points and problem solve them like you problem solve anything, anything else. It's about identifying it, reflecting on it and problem solving it together rather than just um, on your own. Because I think um, it's those often, it's those things that's not talked about that becomes assumptions and assumptions um, leads into, into resentment, um, you know, and just a common, the common thing, there's, there's a perception sometimes that when you do something like this and you go to the gym, that you're having a luxury. And, and then you can have the situation where people feel jealous because they don't have that. Um, so, and then the resentment happens that way. And when you have resentment or jealousy, um, you have a, a new kind of friction. There you go. There you go. And, and it's done out of no malice or fault of anyone's. It is a process that happens. Um, an unexpected experience because you couldn't predict that this is going to happen. And, and you feel fabulous when you start exercising and, you, you know, when your confidence starts shifting and you leave people behind. Um, so suddenly the man that you used to be, or the woman that you used to be, you suddenly not that person anymore. You, you, you're more vibrant, you're more energetic and partners could go, who's this person? This is not the person that I, that I, and my, my girlfriend had said to me, my fiance had said to me, you're not the man that I met 10 years ago. I like you better, but you're not the same guy. Um, and that's the profound shifts that, that happen with making these changes. And you need to bring people alongside you and realize that this is not just a body transformation. This is a transformation of, of who you are. And when you change who you are, it impacts on your relationships. So you've got to put just as hard work into managing your relationship as you're putting into, if, if it's important to you. And if you want it to last, yes. because this is a yes. whole systems thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it is, you can't change yourself in isolation um, because you're interconnected with all these things that is around you. So it is about bringing the things around you with you. Um, in order to make this sustainable. Because the number of times I've seen people making phenomenal changes and then, oh, I've had a little bit of a hiccup, but I'm back on track now. And, and, and then, you know, I'm always very curious about what's happened there. But um, I think it's often life that happens. And often it's the systems that causes friction that stops people from, and they bounce back a little bit. But yeah, most guys then get themselves back on track. But I think it's, It'll be a much smoother journey if there's just that tiny bit more awareness that this is um, how it impacts on on us as 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 a, as a couple system. Yeah, as a unit, because then the person feels like they're involved, right? Because they're not being left behind in the like they might not be doing the workouts, but they're involved in this process. They're your teammate, 
And I will say a couple of things too. I think a helpful analogy, at least how I think of it, is when you're explaining to a partner that early on in this period, it requires a certain amount of intensity. If you want to launch a rocket into space, it's not like it has to have the jets on all the time, but to escape gravitational pull, it needs focus and it needs a lot of drive. And that's FF30X phase one. Maybe it's the first three months, six months, whatever. But once you get into orbit, it's like the extreme nature of this present thing that I'm looking to do that feels like it's a total recalibration is not going to be the extreme sustained the system normalizes out. So maybe that helps people with the fear of change. That could be a a helpful thing to share. And I guess also there's the fact that your partner is on their own complete life and personal transformation journey. And in many ways, us getting ourselves healthy, if that brings up insecurity in someone else, could also be viewed, you know, it's a challenge, but in a way also a reflection and a gift for them to have the opportunity to come along. And whatever happens from there is you know, the individual relationship. But I, I, I think that's a natural thing that does happen when you start to get healthier, someone else could feel insecure in the process. Could you share anything about that scenario that may happen? Someone who might not want to change or et cetera. What do you counsel around that scenario? I think what's really, really important again is that level of awareness that you you need to have. That when you're in a, in, in a system where that type of resistance starts to to build it is in the first instance about it's it's about naming talking about the elephant in the room um, in a way that lays it out in terms of expectations around what had brought us to this point in the first instance thinking about um, the when it, it started to asking that person so what is it that you've noticed around the changes that I've made at what point did you start noticing that this this is difficult for you um, and let, let's talk about um, what it was like for you, because I think it is about validating. It is about, it is about allowing people to feel that this is hard and this is impacting. Because, again, if you, if you just change and think you're changing in isolation, you're making a mistake um, because you can't change yourself in isolation. Um, it, it impacts on those things around you. And depending on where that person is in their own journey, they're going to have a response to that. Um, and it's about talking about that response, but validating and making it okay for them to have that response. Because it doesn't matter what the response is, that response is valid in, in, in at that moment. It's what their real lived experience is. It must be accepted. And now where you go from there, you know, is up to the relationship. And that is then where the discussion needs to happen because um, that's that disequilibrium that we talked about. When you've now you need to decide how you're going to to bring the balance back. So it is about finding out what what is the thing that is is it because um, you know in some cases it could be jealousy as we as we said or unhappiness about um, not feeling ready to to make an equal change or um, or I've heard people talk about um, yes and suddenly you're eating all this this healthy stuff and you know I think it's also important to to remember that people's eating habits um, are often ingrained around some sort of reward system and if you suddenly want people to change the way they eat or they've always rewarded themselves you're asking a big thing <laughs> it's stressful so um so you know that is the way i went about it personally is i i started changing i like cooking and i'm, I'm quite proficient in the kitchen and i started changing the meals that i made and i didn't change i kept the, the old eating plan <laughs> the way it was and uh, 
and I made two meals basically. And I ate my FFX30 meal plan and um, uh, my fiance sort of died for a bit. And then that just suddenly shifted by conversation. She started being more curious about what it is that I was doing. Um, I started talking a little bit more about that with her and, uh, and went. And maybe she even finds out it tastes pretty good because that's the whole point. You can stick to it. You're, you're not eating food that you don't love. You're eating food that actually tastes good and makes you feel great. So like... 100%. A brilliant story is we've both been on this um, diet no, diet plan now for, or the nutrition plan for the, the last 11, 12 months. And uh, on one of our birthdays, um, we said, well, shall we have a takeout? Because, you know, um, let's have a treat. We were so ill <laughs> after that takeout. <laughs> we were just not used to it anymore. And we just yeah. went, hey, it tasted dreadful. The next day we felt awful. Um, we had upset stomachs because we just weren't used to all the fatty crap. And it was just, we've not had a takeout since. And that's negative reinforcement working to you in a great way. Like it's Absolutely. actually, that's a benefit yeah. of getting the system yeah. clean. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's a cool feature of the system, I guess you could say, is that when you, when you have something, it's like, that's the, you get whipped in the butt, like, wow, that was not worth it. And your psychology is rewiring. 100%, yes. So I guess it is It is about, I can't stress it enough, when you in this journey, remember, even though you are making the changes, it has a knock-on effect on everything around you. And in the reflections that you do daily, also think, how is my behavior, the things that I'm doing differently, maybe making life a little bit tricky for those around me men with kids working out suddenly and not being around um for their for the duties of um of supporting um in the way that they used to and having to find a different way of supporting i can imagine that that could be very stressful for a couple where you're suddenly out in the morning exercising and um and your partner needs to deal with uh, with the morning routines on her own because you're out training that could be really tough um and it's about having conversations around how you're going to manage that and, and and naming it by saying i'm taking this time out for me but also for us because i'm going to be much more effective in supporting you if i'm fitter and have more energy but let's think how we can balance that so what would be a compromise that we can make here to support you in not feeling that i'm taking the mic um, um, and not being considerate um, because I really want to be considerate here um, and I want this to work for both of us. So um, let's think. That's an integrated yeah. systems question. That question gets answered. You pull on that thread long enough, you'll find what works. And I can say this with confidence. The behaviors that are you know, a part of the core principles of the program are not incompatible with a resistant partner or whatever. You can find the sacred time one to two hours per week, even if you're incredibly busy. And it may not be at the ideal time. If you want it bad enough, you can slot the plate, the pieces around your system so that it works with low enough friction that's sustainable, even if you don't have a partner buying in. And in time, it turns out when you're vibrant and full of life and making changes, it tends to inspire other people to do their own version or to participate with you in their own way. And now you're even stronger. So. 
And this is a process, like you said, it works. Like you've been doing this for a year, but this can continue to, the flow changes. Life is dynamic. The flow that you're in now is probably not going to be the same one as it will be in five to 10 years. And you're going to continue to use these meta philosophies and observation to recreate what that is into the future. And that's the game. That's engaging. And you're engaging in the process, which I think was one of the most brilliant things you said is not necessarily outcome goals, but your goal is feeling good and the process. And if that's the case, you pretty much have your work cut out for you the rest of your life. For me, it's a 33-inch waist. Um, that's, that's the measure that I take every week. I average my, 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 my waist. I take three measures on my waistline, and I want to keep that between 32 and 33 and keep it there. And the way I do that is I work out hard, I eat right, um, and keep things in balance. And I think one of the most profound um, I think, I don't know whether it was a YouTube video or a research article that you've shared, was about um, a study that they've done where they showed that men who start resistance training in their 40s have the same physical capability um, when they're in their 70s, having worked out regularly as somebody who hasn't worked out um, who are in their 40s. Um, And that was just profound, to think that by... Working out, you can actually reverse the physical effects, the vulnerability factors of aging um, on your on your body. And you could be out in the mountains and have a hike when you're in your 70s and, and, and appreciate life in that way versus somebody who hasn't done this and made this investment now who will be sitting in a wheelchair on a porch with a blanket over their knees. Uh, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. And you didn't think of exercise. I know you didn't relate to exercise in the same way when you were inconsistent with it because you wouldn't have the motive reasons to like know that it's important. And this is also why what I want to highlight from this conversation, it's so valuable. What you did is immersive learning in that first early part of this, because what you're doing is gathering evidence creating your own perspectives and relationships and tying that stuff to why exercise is important. And, and, and you're feeling the positive reinforcement of feeling good afterwards. So this learning, finding the evidence, creating deeper reasons about why you've basically retrained your, your identity and your relationships. It's a, it's powerful what you've basically described. And it's a really beautiful perspective of how big and deep this work really is. Thankfully, it's not that complicated. You can just follow these steps and what we described is the process that naturally emerges from taking the actions. So that's the good news. The good news is like all this stuff happens. It's fun to talk about the philosophy of it. And it's really beautiful to see the artistry of transformation. But the even more beautiful news might be that just damn it, schedule your apex and like get in there and, and keep on working at it. And then this stuff happens automatically. And you know, what's the talking about the apex again, the thing, so I, I, I follow the guys that say, well, I'm on my knees and I'm this and feeling despondent. And then you see two days later when they do the next one, ah, they've upped a set and you go, yeah, this works. Um, just stick with it. Your body responds very, very quickly. And I think one of the beautiful things about this program is the progressive nature. Even though Apex 10 is hard, um, Peak 11 is probably a little bit harder. It's a lot harder. Um, so it's double trouble, <laughs> as many people yes. are attached to, right? So, yeah. But all these connective tissues, all the things that you need to do the heavier lifts are just naturally built into the program. If you follow the system, you're going to get to OSM 1, OSM 2, and that's going to work for you. Um, because you've done the the prep work. You've done, if you think of it at a pyramid, um, phase one to, to three is probably the base. And the broader the base, the higher the peak. And uh, Right, well said. Um, and I think um, 
Yeah, um, OSM for me is sort of more towards the peak because um, I'm, I'm done with the, hitting the goals of waste and um, weight loss and, and and those bits. It's it's about lifestyle now, and that's where OSM comes in because boy, does it feel good to have that proprioceptive, deep uh, muscle stimulation early in the morning um, because it just calms you down. Um, in hospital where I work, the OTs, the occupational therapists, are constantly working with deep muscle um, stimulation for, for patients because it grounds them. And, and people who've had profound trauma get calm by having deep muscle stimulation. Um, because you feel trauma in your body, that's that's where trauma hits you. It's it's a physical sensation, and if you if you work out hard, calms you down. And OSM for me is is my therapy now because um, lifting heavy three four times a week, depending on which which phase I'm in, it's brilliant. Um, my mind is set, my mind is clear, and then when you feel with the right kind of food, with that, it's just it's just a phenomenal process. Um, yeah, love it. Well, Hugo, thanks for coming on. We covered some ground. I'm I'm happy we didn't know where we get there, but I mean, this was really cool to hear your personal story and all the wisdom you can interject in perspectives. I found this one incredibly valuable and I appreciate you, you know, just sharing everything and willing to prepare and share and of course, walking this journey and being a perfect example of what I consider a fit father. So congratulations again. Our team is damn proud of you and thank you again for coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It was absolutely amazing. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fit Father Project Podcast. If you love what you heard, please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps spread this show to more men who need this valuable info. To watch full video episodes of this podcast and other motivational videos to inspire your training and more, visit our Fit Father Project YouTube channel. It's free and everything's made for busy guys over 40 like you. Visit youtube.com forward slash fitfatherproject to get access to our entire video library. And finally, if you or someone in your life is interested in becoming a fit father or needs help losing weight, building muscle, and living healthier after age 40, then visit fitfatherproject.com where you can see our proven programs, supplement line for guys 40 plus, and free meal plan and workouts to get you started. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi signing off. I'll see you in the next episode.